Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Singapore Grand Prix and ask just how did Vettel beat Leclerc? Vettel finally ended his win drought with his first victory since last year's Belgian Grand Prix in the Singapore Grand Prix. In some ways a slightly controversial victory. Certainly it didn't uh, leave teammate Charles Leclerc especially happy with things given the way the strategy in the race played out. So lots to dig into in this one. I'm your host Ed Straw and joining me to look back at the race is Scott Mitchell and enjoying the the fridge-like qualities of our our, uh, apartments here. Yeah, absolutely uh, delighted to, to walk back into our well aircon department just outside of uh, of the downtown Singapore. I'm not entirely sure if I should disclose the location of our uh, of our apartment because I'm usually very good at finding accommodation in sensible areas at sensible prices. That is one of my fortes. The others being the other one being places to go to eat of of, of the evening. I have got us a very nice apartment in Singapore. It's very. It's a nice location, 10-15 minutes taxi from 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 the Singapore Flyer, the, the giant Ferris wheel that you can see on the edge of the circuit where we walk in. Um, it perfectly, I think it was perfectly, I think our company will agree it was reasonably priced. 
I haven't quite got the location perfect, have I, Ed? Yeah, well, we're we're not right in it, but we're just on the edge of an area of town notorious for being able to procure certain services, if you're of that mind. So it's uh, it's not necessarily the uh, the classiest area of town, but actually the bit we're in is quite good. It's, it's worked well. This bit's this bit's actually quite nice. I believe we're a good um, one one and a half kilometres away from said part of uh, of Singapore that could be best characterised as the the, the colour of a of a of a traffic light system shall we say um but fortunately that hasn't been something that we've uh we've been troubled by this week although we both did find it quite funny when we only discovered this in the taxi from the airport the taxi- to the apartment the taxi driver found it hilarious well the taxi driver did seem to be probing to try and work out what our motives were that's uh which was quite interesting yeah absolutely but, and uh, probing in the sense that he was asking us questions yes yeah, given, we were, the, given the subject matter we should clarify we were very we very we were very very clear that we're here for the uh for the grand prix and a good thing too because it was a it was a very very interesting weekend we headed out to Singapore confident that Ferrari were not going to be able to take another victory after their victories at uh, Belgium and in, in Monza, with Charles Leclerc winning both races. And I think Ferrari thought the same as well. They thought pretty much that was their run of success uh, over. I think Mercedes thought the same. Red Bull thought they'd be the ones challenging and Ferrari would be third best. But this weekend, Ferrari was able to take pole and get a 1-2, which was astonishing. Yeah, in, in previous years, if you'd seen Ferrari being very competitive in Singapore and Mercedes struggling by comparison, it wouldn't have been that unusual, would it? It would have actually been relatively par for the course and, and expected. And then this season with the uh, the different aerodynamic philosophies, you've got the Ferrari that's, uh, that's focused on efficiency over that total peak aerodynamic performance, whereas the, the Mercedes and the, the Red Bull have have worked very, very well through the corners. So the Ferrari strengths have been at high speed. That's why we saw them do very well in Bahrain, for example, um, Canada, and then, yeah, the wins in in Belgium and, and Italy. And then you thought, coming here, Mercedes versus Red Bull, it would be Hamilton Verstappen, like the pre-summer break days. And then Leclerc goes and puts it on pole with a lap. He himself described as uh, one that he saw himself in the wall two or three times. And then goes on to, well, he doesn't go on to win the race. He goes on to control the first part of the race. Then Vettel takes over because of the strategic play that we'll get into in a bit. And actually, Ferrari looked pretty untroubled the entire way through the Grand Prix. It was certainly something that I didn't expect. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written before the weekend that this was going to be a Mercedes versus Rebel showdown. Well, this is the great thing. Things do do change, don't they? Clearly, Ferrari brought upgrades. They had a new floor uh, diffuser change. The nose was uh, was tweaked, so that there was plenty. They had uh, the new. Ca- they had the cape as well, the Mercedes Pioneer yeah, cape yeah. Uh, design under the nose as well. That Ferrari finally joined the bandwagon on. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And the new floor, if I haven't already mentioned that. And it was interesting because Friday they didn't really show any great pace at all. They were very much third best as we'd expected. And you saw Hamilton and Verstappen were separated by a few tenths. Verstappen didn't get the best out of his lap. So you're thinking, oh, maybe actually Verstappen's ultimate paces could be a little bit quicker. The Mercedes was much stronger on the long runs by a big margin. So you thought well, this, this could be interesting. But the thing that changed my perception of the whole weekend, clearly Friday did a load of work overnight. Now I went down to turn five, the right hander leading onto the long back straight. Um, in FP3. It's a good place to watch because bumpy approach. Sort of fourth gear corner, so not the slowest. Interesting place to watch, to watch the cars. And I should also add, 
lovely bunch of marshals down in that area, including one All Sport podcast listener who had a had a, a, a quick chat with before he had to get back to his duty. So that uh, that made it a, an extra pleasant uh, uh, session to watch. But on his qualifying simulation run, Leclerc came through. And it was one of those ones that you watched him in the entry and you saw the speed he carried in. You're like, oh, right, you're going to, the front's going to go or the rear's going to go. You're going you're gonna to have a big oversteer or understeer. You're going to get out of the throttle. But he carried the speed through the corner. And it was one of those quite rare moments. You're like, wow, didn't expect that. that and, and at that point, because I, when I watched trackside, I don't really know what's going on. That's a, at that place, I couldn't see any big screens or anything. So I knew nothing about what, what was going on. But it wasn't until I got back into the media centre and the, the, the timing screens up there and I saw Leclerc top and I thought, that doesn't completely surprise me. And I, I th- it was the fact that the car, you know, just on the brakes, turned in. This is a car that's had a front-end weakness this year, but it just got in, carried the speed through the corner and onto the straight. Absolutely brilliant. And carried that into qualifying as well because when we saw, we looked at the, uh, the, the side-by-side comparison of uh, Leclerc's lap versus Hamilton who got onto the front row alongside him managed to split the Ferraris, which was a good effort in the circumstances, but obviously not what Hamilton and Mercedes wanted. Uh, Hamilton's actually ahead as they co- come out of that opening sequence of corners. He's been a bit later on the brakes at the, the start of the lap and he sort of carried that speed through. And then they go into to five and I was expecting to discover that Leclerc was super fast off of five because this this Ferrari, the the, the power unit in the Ferrari seems to offer an amazing amount of, uh, of power off the corner. and they which, carry, which it has done for and, 18 months Exactly, now. and we saw it off the Parabolica at Monza, the, the fact that Leclerc was able to repel Hamilton even when Hamilton had DRS. So I was expecting all that time to be gained out of five and down the long run down to turn seven. And Leclerc's lap time, comparison to Hamilton, leaps forward on the entry to turn five, that that what you saw in in final practice was 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 exactly how it played out in qualifying. Leclerc just so confident on on turning, and I think there's a I think there's a few factors at play here because you you noted as well. I think that the the car looked really really good on, over the bumps. Yeah, it it it, it absorbed the bumps beautifully, better better than any any other car, and there was everything from that down to Grosjean's Haas, which had just reverted largely to uh, the Australia spec, which was all over the place early in the session. It was just jumping up and down. So the car looked really comfortable. And the, the aero updates that, that we've talked about briefly there on the front, but also at the back of the car with the, the, the floor and the diffuser as well. Um, the, the car itself is, is, is producing more of the downforce that, that Ferrari wants. I don't necessarily believe that those updates produce like a crit like suddenly gave the car an extra 25 or 30 points of downforce and therefore it's now suddenly an equal of mercedes or ferrari at, at a high downforce i don't believe that what i do think the upgrades did was put the put the ferrari closer to 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 where it needed to be i think that car has always been there or thereabouts but it's got a bit of a narrower working window and what those upgrades have done is just put it in the vicinity where if they nailed absolutely everything then they, they are actually in contention that. Well, if you if you look at the the uh, the performance profile in, in qualifying, I think Hamilton was something like point two three one down on Leclerc in the first sector, and then in the second and third, Hamilton pulled a little bit back around half a tenth, something like that. Not maybe not even quite that, but and that tells you the fact that actually the Ferrari wasn't losing a great deal, and it's, and it's particularly the middle sector, which is very very twisty. Exactly, it managed to it maintained the gap effectively that it got in the first bit. So. You've got a car that's sort of produ- You've got a car that's producing a bit more downforce. 
it's also the work that they've done on it. These upgrades will have helped the cars now sort of slightly better balanced, which automatically gives the driver better feel, better confidence. Would Leclerc be able to to, to throw the Hungary spec Ferrari in at turn five the way he was this version of the SF90 that we saw this weekend? I don't I don't necessarily think he would. And there's also a little bit of a theory that the um, that, that Ferrari, knowing the value of, of pole here, made sure that they had absolutely everything over one lap because Toto Wolff said uh, today. Uh, that he thinks that that Ferrari ultimately won it in qualifying, and basically they had a they had a car that, to quote Wolf, was nowhere on race pace, but they'd done all of their work to make sure it was maximised over one lap because they knew that track position would be key, and that's the mistake Mercedes made. They geared the car towards the race too much, lost a bit of performance on Saturday, that which is probably why they needed such a fast outlap the the Mercedes to get the tyres up to temperature. And that was the key difference there. So it's this sort of mix of factors. It doesn't necessarily mean that Ferrari is now a Mercedes or Red Bull level chassis, but it was enough to put it in the ballpark so that when it did everything else, executed it really well, it was able to be on pole by a couple of attempts. Yeah, well, Sochi's going to tell us a little bit more about that very smooth circuit as well. So I'm interested to see what part the bumps played for Ferrari's advantage, what part what you just talked about played Ferrari could get away with a slightly more kind of oversteery car in the qualifying you could see Leclerc big opposite lock moment out of turn three really big moment that took a lot of sorting out I was down at turn 11 wasn't it there are a couple of other little moments on the lap you know it's it it great to see a driver put it having to put it on the uh, on the line though but th- th- this obviously put them in a, in a great position as, as it does in Singapore yeah and the, and, and- once Leclerc was controlling the pace at the start of the race, which I have to say, I know a few people have pointed this out on social media, for example, seeing the cars run round at that pace in that first stint, that's a it's a painful sight to watch at the start of a Grand Prix. Well, to put it into context, Leclerc's pole time was a thirty-eight, uh, a thirty-six, a thirty-six-two. I was looking at his Q one time, and the target time he was given was a forty-nine-five. It did, did a couple of forty-eights, and then I think on lap four he hit forty-nine-five from lap four till fourteen, something like that. Actually, in that phase of the race, who do you think was the quickest driver on track on average in that period of the race? I know the answer because you told me earlier, so I can't. Be, uh, shall I? I'll do a fake guess. Let, Daniel, Daniel Kvyat? Oh no, no, close, but no, actually wasn't that close? But no, the, the fastest driver was George Russell because he'd had. What, and what what car is he driving? He's just... driving the slowest car in the field, the Williams, and he was just a little bit quicker than Nico Hulkenberg by about. 300 something like that and of course what those two had in common is they both had first lap incidents so they pitted and they were in clean air and able to go quicker on the on the, on the hard tyres so yeah to put it so to come back to the point when I interrupted you yeah so 36 is against 49.5 so you're talking 13 13 and a bit seconds and okay basically zero to 110 kilos that's that's a that's quite a big swing so that does add quite a lot of time, but it certainly doesn't explain the deficit. They were absolutely controlling the race, and to all intents and purposes, everyone on track was doing the same pace to the to the to the extent where it actually disrupted McLaren's Lando Norris, who was at the front of the midfield. He was on softs, wanting to press on because he knew he had to make a stop and would drop behind a bunch of medium starters, and he couldn't because the three, the, the six fastest cars in Formula One were in front of him and in the way. Do you remember the um, was it Monaco twenty eighteen? that we had that really horrible phase in the middle of the race or sort of after the first stop. So I can't remember when it was exactly, but in that race when some of the cars were going through some grain in and on the tyres and we had this phase where like the, the Torossos of Gasly and Brendan Hartley were like the quickest cars on track in sixth, sixth and seventh or something. And it's just, 
I just don't. I, it's so. It, it's. I, I know we're. It, we've it, gone it, off on a it shouldn't be that way, but. But but what I mean we know we know what the reality is with the tires. Obviously we know why Ferrari wanted to do that because they did have a slower car. Probably, I mean we never really quite saw it certainly, but everything points to the fact they had a slower car, so they wanted to control it, make sure nobody could launch an early undercut attack by making sure they were just midfielders clogging up the track behind uh, behind everyone. But while it is as you say frustrating to see drivers chugging round at that sort of speed, they don't really like it. It is quite interesting though. Because I was watching this phase of the race, saying, "Oh, this is brilliant!" We've basically Ferrari have, have just kind of completely neutered the race, which isn't particularly fun from a racing perspective, but it is very interesting from a all right. What are you going to do? Because I remember you saying once, "Is there any, any what, what moves can people make?" It's like, well, they say, can't. Nobody can make any moves because Ferrari's just boxed them into a corner. <laughs> well, there was one move that I thought someone could make, and actually, it turned out afterwards that when you went and spoke to this team principal, they had actually considered what I thought was. Oh, just do it. Just do a massive yeah, gamble. Yeah, well, that, that, that was Norris who could have pitted into a gap and maybe tried to pick off a few of the quick guys, which could have worked. But Briefly I think, got track position, but, but it, then got swallowed it, up. It, it, was, it was high risk, high reward for a team that was already winning its race. So I think they looked at it and thought, this probably is not the day to do it. So they're absolutely right there. So basically what happened while Leclerc's out in front, controlling the pace, hitting his, his delta, which is obviously exactly what F1 should be about. And we should all be very proud of this and what state we're in in F1 2019. Uh, he is leading Lewis Hamilton, who rebuffed that very fierce attack from uh, Vettel on the first half lap, or well, first third of the lap. Um, but it's all pretty much normal out front. And then, yeah, and they just have yeah Verstappen, Bottas, and Albon. The next three just line of stern, basically covered by what point three point eight seconds or something like that for for most of the first stint. Yeah, and then it started it, to open up a little bit at the end. It started when to open up a little bit, and then and then you started to have the leading midfield runners or some of the guys in the midfield just one by one just start to to pit and then Grosjean started to fall back a little bit and you had this little gap start to open up in the midfield and suddenly there was a little bit of a window for the leaders to pit yeah it was when because Hulkenberg was was being a massive pain for everyone because he was he was sort of floating in a very awkward place there was a point where it looked like where it wasn't completely inconceivable he could have got the the race lead, having made that that stop for hard, in the end it didn't work. He did get, as you said, you know, caught up with Grosjean. So it was, it it was basically, uh, yeah, the sort the sort of the, the window was in front of twelfth place in the end. Yeah, and at this point, uh, we're getting to sort of lap seventeen, eighteen. So Max is running in fourth place, and he's starting to complain about the rear tires. They're they're starting to go. He's 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 already caught. I, I was watching on board. He caught a really big slide coming out of. I think it was coming out of the the first complex of corners, so turn what is officially turn three. Yeah, the 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 left the left hand of the tight left. Yeah, because big, big the kink. So he loses about six tenths of a second or something, and you can see him start to struggle. And he's and at this point he's basically asking them to pit him, but not being so firm with it. But they wait a little bit longer. But by this point he's losing so much time, and he's so vocal over the radio. And I so when I say losing so much time, by this point he must be what I, like two seconds behind Vettel, something like that. He's not dropped a million miles away, but he's he's, he's starting to slip back. Yeah, he's back. a couple of seconds. So he's starting to slip back and he's being vocal. He's given Ferrari quite a public indicator that he is about to make a pit stop. So Ferrari, at this point with their cars running first and third, Vettel behind Hamilton, but wary of the fact that Verstappen's about to stop, they... Pit Vettel on lap nineteen, I think it was nineteen. Yeah, he was he was at turn twenty when they called him in on lap nineteen. They'd they'd been chatting a little bit about um 
some front wing changes at the next stop or whatever. But that, yeah, Ferrari uh, called Vettel in and all all the traffic as as well as covering Verstappen. You quite rightly say. Uh, by making that stop because Verstappen stopped at the same time. They were also looking about whether they could maybe strike out at Hamilton as well because that was what Felt was told, right, push, because you're racing potentially Hamilton because they just sort of thought if everything was perfect, they might be able to do something. Yeah, and I asked uh, Ferrari team boss Mattia Bonotto after the race uh, to explain the intention of Vettel's early stop. I I think you and I saw it quite early for what it was. I I didn't believe they were trying to stitch up Leclerc or get Vettel in front. It was the right move. Absolutely. And uh, Bonotto admitted that overhauling Hamilton was the target, but he also admitted that the effect of the undercut was more powerful than expected because what Vettel ended up doing was producing a 3.9 second undercut, which even for Singapore is powerful. Vettel was about, the moment Vettel pulled into the pits, I I checked in in one of the mini sectors, it was about 3.6 seconds behind Leclerc. So yeah, they weren't expecting, and all of the chatter on the outlap was was about Hamilton. They didn't even warn Vettel it was going to be close with Leclerc at at the the pit exit, which normally they would do because it was quite tight. Because they didn't, they they didn't seem to get the fact that Leclerc was going to be there. They did warn Leclerc as he was rolling down the pit lane it'd be close with Vettel because obviously his his engineer had realised or whatever. But it, this all adds up to it just being a, a surprise that the undercut was so powerful, and every team actually found this. I mean, it's always powerful at Singapore. Here it was ultra powerful. Yeah. So basically, the what you would normally do in that situation. And Ferrari's policy is no different, is the lead driver gets first choice on strategy. But Ferrari being influenced by that slow pace in the early stages of the race, none of the front runners wanted to stop early, drop into the midfield traffic, compromise their race. So in that situation, when you're Leclerc, you don't want your fir- you, 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 you don't want to stop but, first. But Leclerc can't stop first. A, by and large, as the leader, you don't stop first. Sometimes it does happen. B, Leclerc has got no idea how fast Hamilton can go. He knows Hamilton's got a faster car. He knows the undercut's powerful, but what if Hamilton's pace can cancel out the un- the advantage he gets from stopping a lap earlier? Likewise, Hamilton and Mercedes can't stop earlier because they can drop into the gap, but they don't know how quick Leclerc can go. So for all they know, they put Hamilton in, <laughs> let them Leclerc stay out and nail it, and suddenly they're going a second a lap faster than they expect because they, they do not know. So the, this is why it becomes so difficult to, to say those who are right at the very front, the first two in particular, it's easy to say, oh, well, they should have done. And, and probably in, in retrospect, certainly Hamilton uh, should have done and Leclerc would have wanted to, given what happened. But that, that, that's hindsight, isn't it? But Bonotto said that it would have been a completely different move for, for Leclerc to pit first. And he's right, because Verstappen in that situation has effectively got nothing really to lose because he's fourth. OK, yeah, he'll probably finish fifth if it, if it goes if it goes wrong and he gets caught out. But at that point, you, you, can, be, you can go aggressive on his strategy. Ferrari can effectively sacrifice Vettel to cover off Verstappen because it's the second car, so it doesn't actually matter. Well, it's a, and it's you can a, have a, a go at Lewis. Yeah, and it's a, it's a logical move. To yeah, have exactly. Because you've got the you're protecting your third place and you're giving yourself a possibility of taking second. And also, because you never know what happens at pit stops. They were expecting Hamilton to come in at the end of the next lap, which he didn't in the end. They left him out because they knew he was going to lose the place and they wanted to see what they could do in terms of giving a bit of a, a tyre offset. But, you know, they... They they couldn't be sure exactly what how it was gonna how it was gonna pan out. And what they're doing ultimately at this point, Ferrari is doing absolutely the right thing for one Vettel's race because he's at risk of losing out to Verstappen, and he's got half a chance of gaining on and passing Hamilton yeah. if the undercut works as they're expecting. And also, you then have the opportunity of then turning your your one to, your one three into a one two. But the second part of this, because people do genuinely seem to think that they were stitching up Leclerc, they gen they they thought that. 
by stopping Leclerc a lap later, it's not like they left Leclerc out for two or three laps to 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 just sort of sit there as as bait, I suppose, to keep uh, Hamilton out so that Vettel would move into first. They they stopped Leclerc a lap later, and they genuinely thought he was going to come out ahead of Vettel. It was only because Vettel actually did a really good outlap, and he knew. And Seb also said this: he knew he had to do a good outlap because he knew that Max had pitted with him, so he knew he'd be under pressure from Verstappen if he didn't nail the outlap. Yeah, exactly, and it's just the way it came together with the power of that uh, that undercut on on fresh rubber, and you can understand why Leclerc was frustrated because he didn't entirely. Well, he was, I think he was more than well, frustrated. Well, yeah, that's probably a. a so to word, and I don't think they really help matters because listening to the radio communications, they were a little bit vague about things rather than just it's quite a simple thing to explain. They could have just said to him, "Right, this is what's happened. This is why." But the simple fact is, from a Ferrari perspective, this approach they've taken they've they've got themselves first and third on the grid. They should have been first and second. Obviously, Vettel, we should say, had provisional pole after the first runs in Q3 but then on his second run it didn't really the lap didn't really come together from the start he was always behind uh, the eight ball on that lap and then he made the mistake into the left-hander under the sort of where it goes under the stadium and had to get out of the throttle and he aborted so uh, that left Vettel third rather than second but Ferrari started the race first and third their third place was under threat their first place was potentially under threat and they converted that situation not into a 1-4, a 1-3, a 2-4, or whatever. They converted it into a 1-2. A that, comfortable 1-2 uh, yeah, as well. that is job done for Ferrari. And if anybody thinks Ferrari are going to mess about, they've, they've barely been able to buy a win this season. They've had the two wins that they knew were on the card, Spa and Monza, which were very tight in the end. Mm-hmm. But a Singapore win, imagine how big a boost that has been for the team. They're not going to mess around just to try and keep keep Vettel happy it was just a it was just circumstances also and I know that some people will think well maybe by the end they should have swapped them and everyone would have said that but Bonotto Bonotto said that they did consider it and he wouldn't really go into the detail why but he basically said we just decided it wasn't the right thing to do they will discuss it as a team they'll talk to the drivers and say what do you think in that situation should we be swapping you back and we'll take that into consideration the bottom line I, I'm is, going to guess and say Vettel probably thought, mm, probably not, and Leclerc probably thought, yes. I suspect that's how that debrief went. <laughs> but by the end of the race, I think Verstappen's a couple of seconds back from the second Ferrari. It's too close. It's, it's way too dangerous to try and orchestrate a position swap just to do the right thing. Also, there's no championship at stake for them. No, exactly. So, And by the end, ultimately... Once all this has played out and Leclerc has subsequently had this explained to him and he does sort of begrudgingly accept that it was for the best result of the team because he's a smart guy and he he knows that a first and a second is better than a first and a third. And, and all you need to do is show him the race situation when Vettel came in and he'll understand it in five seconds. Yeah, exactly. So he understands it and he said, I think he put on social media, that oh, the bottom line is there's no way that Ferrari expected to leave Singapore with its best result of the season but during the race he wasn't quite so uh, so chilled out he was very vocal under the safety car so I've got his I've got what he said here because it's, it's just quite interesting in the um, under the first safety car period I think it was he was uh, he was told to to keep his head down and he replied my head is down and it will be down until the race is done I just want to let you know my feelings to be completely honest with you, I don't understand the undercut. We will discuss after the race. Except they didn't just discuss it after the race because under the second safety car, Leclerc was uh, Leclerc said that he wanted to have everything available to him for the restart. And Ferrari said, 
no, look after your engine, we need to get to the end, which is basically, you're not fighting Seb. And uh, his response was, yep, I won't do anything stupid, it, it is not my goal, I want us to finish one and two, I just don't think it is fair, but I won't do anything stupid. And that's very much a, okay, I understand, loud and clear, I'm going to play the team game, but you've screwed me out of this. It's also a... Uh he'll probably have realised they'll have thought about whether they're going to swap them around. And so he's just keeping the pressure on, isn't he? Saying, just keep thinking about it, just in case. And in fact, he th- he raises this really early. Um, after the pit stop, obviously on his out lap, he's just paying attention. He's not thinking about it. But there's, I think on the second lap of that stint, towards the end of the lap, he, he basically says, right, this undercut, what are we going to do about it then? Basically saying, are we going to, are you going to move Seb out of my way? And they tell him, right, just, no, no just, just concentrate on Hamilton at the moment. Cause obviously Hamilton at that stage had the lead and they were still, things were still a little bit dicey there. So, um, so kind of that, that conversation was going on over a long period of time. I don't, I don't believe that the, the Ferrari did anything wrong. I, I, I do sympathize with Leclerc because ultimately in terms of the, the, the Ferraris who drivers, the Ferrari drivers deserve to win, finish second. But, my biggest problem with what happened is once we had that one-two situation for Ferrari locked down, we lost any chance of that quite interesting and slightly weird start of the Grand Prix, giving us the conclusion that we hoped for. Because when when Leclerc pit to cover to to respond to Vettel and Verstappen to be in the lap before, Mercedes kept Hamilton out, and he ran for another six laps after Leclerc, and sort of ended up a little bit in no man's land because he's. They've they've realised correctly that they can't just stop him now because he'll lose track position and he won't have any offset at all on the tyres. They've tried to weak it out, but sort of six laps six laps isn't is probably isn't quite enough. But it gave it gave him a fight a fighting chance at the very least. But by this point, he's already dropped to fourth. And then we have three safety cars, which just completely stunt the rest of the race. Really interrupt it. You can't get any momentum going. So you've got no lead battle because Leclerc's been called off from attacking Vettel. And you've got arguably the fastest car with the best tyres in fourth, but constantly stopped from being able to attack. And it just sort of just just fizzled out into a nothing conclusion, didn't it? At, at the yeah, front, yeah. in the midfield, yeah, it, it was it, very it, entertaining. It, it, it well. I mean, Mercedes, ultimately, the, 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 they should have pitted Hamilton earlier, but I kind of understand what they were doing, they, what they were looking to try and do. They also left him out in a, in a safety car window for a period. So had there been a safety car at the, the right time, uh, that could have given him uh, given him the victory. So, I, I kind of un- I understand how that Mercedes race played out ultimately, and and why they made the decisions uh, decisions they made. Because ultimately, again, they could have done an aggressive undercut attack and pitted Hamilton first. But again, they didn't know how quick the Ferrari was. Leclerc could suddenly have said, "Oh, I'm going to go four seconds a lap faster," and and stitch them up. They didn't know what the tire condition was. So there's there's always these unknowns there that you have to be careful about. Mercedes team boss Toto Wolff uh, cut a very pained figure in his uh, post-race media session, and you, you know what Toto's like. He's uh, he's a he's a very happy winner. He's a very bad loser. Not in a unhappy loser. Yeah, he's an unhappy loser. loser. But I think he's bad at losing. He he's so like he can't take it. Yeah, but he, yeah, he's but he's not. He's uns- not a sore he, loser. He's not a, yeah, he's not okay, a sore yeah, loser. Good, good comparison. Good. Uh, separation there. yeah exactly and there was a bit where i'm gonna try i'm not gonna do an accent because i would i feel that would be inappropriate but i will try and replicate the um the the sort of st- the stress in in toto's voice when he was talking about basically how they felt and he was saying about how angry they were disappointed didn't optimize what we've what we could have optimized and then he said there's a general feeling of we got it wrong we got it so wrong 
this weekend because, as I said before, Ferrari prioritised qualifying. They had everything set up to get pole and Toto basically feels that the most damage to Merck's aspirations had been done in qualifying because, to quote him, that is what is most decisive in Singapore. And they also underestimated the undercut when they left Hamilton out for the first stint. And so it just became, it just unravelled into this really imperfect weekend, which I think if anyone is entitled to, it's probably Mercedes because they've been otherwise excellent this season. But this was definitely one of those races where having already been on the back foot probably of their own making on Saturday, they then shot themselves in the foot further on Sunday. Sorry, it's only two wins out of seven for Mercedes now, so that's uh, the season's turned around uh, quite a bit. We should say, obviously, they they slowed Bottas to make sure that Hamilton didn't drop behind him and Albon. Something Toto uh, was stage. also not happy. Yeah, he's so. uh, he's genuine. I think he's genuinely apologetic about that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, Bottas accepted it, being being the team uh, player he is, and that did preserve them in, in fourth and fifth. Um, one thing I should say is, obviously, Vettel's had some fortune here. He's basically he has been able to win the race because he underachieved on his final Q3 run. That's what's put him in the position to benefit from things like the undercut. But we should also say he was very quick this weekend. Also, the phase of the race after the pit stops. Now, there were four cars, four midfield runners, who were left, who were, who they dropped behind when they made the pit stops, These uh, the, the lead driver. So that was Giovinazzi, Gasly, uh, Stroll and uh, Ricardo. So there was a phase where you had uh, Vettel was leading Leclerc with Verstappen and then um, Bottas and Albon further back and then Hamilton eventually dropped into the middle of that. So when they were going through that that um, group of cars, Vettel pulled 5.3 seconds on Leclerc, incisive in traffic, which I was impressed by because, of course, this is the Vettel who, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes recently, a hell of a lot of mistakes, but... I think people overstate that they, they believe he's always been terrible at overtaking. Yeah, they're in much slower cars, but incisive in traffic, pulled a gap, really, really good job. And I felt that was the that was a period of the race where Vettel was a, a clear step ahead of Leclerc in the way he dealt with that. Well, that movie pulled on Gasly down into turn seven. That was really, really good. That was properly aggressive on the limit. Um, got noted by the stewards because Gasly ended up off track, but they very quickly went, yeah, nothing doing here. That was really good. And just to... While it might sound like that's a very easy thing to do, Ferrari overtaking a Toro Rosso, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't easy. Uh, it was it was a very, very forceful move. And just to prove how difficult that move was to pull off, Daniel Ricciardo, who is regarded widely regarded as one of, if not the best overtaker on the, the F1 grid, when he tried to sneak down the inside of Antonio Giovinazzi at the same corner a few laps later... He didn't manage it quite so cleanly, did he? Got a got a wriggle on mid corner, made contact, hurt both of them, and proof, proof that ha- it is very easy, even when you've got a quicker car and you've got the line, to get it wrong. Vettel didn't get it wrong, actually. Um, once he got into that position, I thought Vettel, like as you say, was excellent. I do just find it a bit twisted. Yeah, I, is it ironic? I'm not sure. Stuart Codden can probably tell us if he's listening that he got into that position through good fortune, not just because of Leclerc, but as as you've pointed out, because of his slightly mediocre performance in qualifying. And also, as we've also since since discussed earlier this evening, the fact that he failed to pass Hamilton on the opening lap. 
yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, ultimately, I, mean, I don't begrudge him catching a catching a break. I mean, we've talked about how much Vettel needed to get a win just to try and end this horrible run, and you kind of take them anywhere you get them, and he did execute it well in the end. So I'm not going to begrudge him that. We we won't get too much into the potential impact on Vettel, etc. And this, we've got a lot to get through in this race. We might talk about that in a, in a future podcast. But it'll be interesting to see if Vettel can use this as a as a kind of zero point after what's been a pretty difficult uh, past uh, past year or so for for him but yeah that that phase in traffic from Vettel it was uh, it was impressive so that that kind of uh, tells a story i guess of the, of the of the top 6 um yeah Bottas fifth Albon was sixth Albon perfectly respectable performance i think it wasn't it wasn't brilliant but first visit there and i think he was a little bit disappointed with qualifying but in the race he basically ran around at the back of that lead pack he didn't drop off it at a rate of knots or anything in the in the in the first stint. So solid in the first kind of genuine head to head with uh, with Verstappen. But this is probably always going to be one of the toughest weekends for him, given how good Verstappen is around Singapore and the fact he'd never been there. Yeah, and, and the race was a bit tricky because he admitted that it wasn't really until the last twenty laps that he was actually able to push a bit. And I thought he thought he equipped himself fairly well. He was one of the people that was very frustrated with the procession that the race turned yeah, into right, so. for, for most of the first half. But yeah, I thought he did a thought he did a respectable job. He was he was also quite good, wasn't he, at working through that midfield traffic because he still had to overtake a few cars, and he just kept Bottas honest. He just he he was exactly where he needed to be as the second Red Bull. Really, um, I thought he did a perfectly decent job. Uh, he will need to make a step in pace over the next couple of Grand Prix because he was a bit too far off. But it's about six tenths, wasn't it, from memory yeah, in qualifying? So, so it's just a bit. And he'd been sort of roughly a second off, hadn't he, before? So it was sort of Gasly levels for part of the weekend and. Albon is in the pole position to keep that drive for next year. Just need to see a little bit of an improvement over one lap. But that will come because, as you say, Singapore is a very hard track. It's the, one of the longest on the calendar, if not... The, I don't know. What, what what circuit's the longest on the calendar? Oh, I can't remember the top of my head. Singapore Shall I, it's, shall it's, I it's consult a, it's, uh, our brilliant statistical partner, Forex? I have a, heart, I have a sneaking suspicion that we might be able to find out Certainly, one of the longest races of the year, around fifty-eight minutes. That's definitely the longest race of the uh, the season we've uh, the season we've seen by far. It's funny, actually, Albon. I ran into, um, uh, spoke to him after the race, and I sort of said to him, "Obviously, this is always going to be a difficult one. First time here. All things considered, even though qualifying was a bit disappointing, you say sort of a decent performance this weekend." And he sort of said. Oh yeah, sort of. Thanks. I think he sort of, I think he sort of agreed. I think he sort of got the nuance that decent is not stunning, but it wasn't disastrous if you see what I mean. I think, I think he kind of got that. That I got the impression he was sort of. He'll probably look back on it and think, yeah, I can be reasonably happy with that, but not, uh, not entirely, uh, entirely so. So yeah, so I mean, solid points for him again, which is uh, which is important for uh, for Albon. Um, yeah, Lando Norris in seventh had an interesting race in the. And he benefited from the collision between Hulkenberg and Sainz, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. So he jumped from tenth on the grid. In fact, he'd he'd underachieved in qualifying. He probably should have. He probably had a little bit of a pace advantage over over Sainz actually. But he um, we didn't miss a downshift. He miscounted his downshifts on uh, on on his qualifying lap, and he ended up not going down enough gears at one corner and made a mistake. So he's frustrated with that. But he got up into seventh place at the start and he basically sat there. It was made a bit more complicated by the way the race panned out and he had Gasly uh, uh, chasing him at the end thanks to safety cars, etc. But yeah, good solid performance for uh, Lando Norris and McLaren. Lando reckoned it was um, one of his best weekend performances and Andreas Seidel, I asked him about that, endorsed that uh, view as well. So uh, uh, 
you know, valid, valuable points there for, uh, for McLaren. Um, and yeah, ahead of Pierre Gasly, Nico Hulkenberg came through to ninth. Um, that was a, uh, reasonable recovery. We should talk about that Hulkenberg science move because it was turn five, wasn't it? First lap. Very surprised to see it get chalked off as basically a racing incident because there was no action taken. And I, I, I mirror well, the, your the, noise the, the there, phrase, The phrase is wholly or predominantly to blame. Well, it was Hulk. Well, he was wholly or predominantly now, to, could, right, to blame. I don't, I don't really see... I see why Hulkenberg went for it, but it was ended up just being a little bit too late and he could probably see that science was... Um, a bit compromised because Alban was just ahead of him, wasn't he? So, um, yeah, they were passing the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always torn with this because I sort of think the I do like the let them race thing, but you've got to be careful about you know honest mistakes, that kind of thing. You don't want to punish constantly. But I did wonder about that one. So maybe Hulkenberg was fortunate to get away with that, but came back through to ninth place. Science did actually have some damage thereafter, so he was struggling. Came back through to through to twelfth place, but obviously hobbled car, so never in a in a great position to um, to recover. But yeah, Hulkenberg through to ninth. Now, um, have you have you worked out if it's the longest circuit yet? You've been, you've been trying to work it out, but well, obviously Spa, Spa's longer. Oh, of course, yeah. So, so that's an obvious one. I'm just trying to work. It. I, I I still uh, I am struggling. I'm not going to lie to you. Is um. Baku's probably long. No, is Baku slightly I, shorter? I think, I think you're going down a rabbit hole here. I'll um, I'll I'll, I'll briefly. Pole position was a one forty point four in in Baku. Yeah, yeah. So this is fascinating. Well, anyway, uh, oh, I'm here we go. I, I can. I can I, do... I'm going to talk about Antonio Giovinazzi while you're resolving this. Who finished tenth, but of course got a penalty, oh, which was for. Uh, you're having a great time over there. This yeah. is quite. It's actually like it's one of the shorter ones. Well, there we go. well, longer. It depends whether you're talking lap time or. T- well, just in, in, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking. Di- I'm talking. Look, it's five, it's five, five, five kilometer circuit. Australia's longer. Bahrain, China, Austin, Abu Dhabi. Apparently, Mon- Monza. That can't be right. Well, remember, Monza's a very fast circuit, so high speed. Um, oh, of course, that's a very Singapore, good point. But, um, I'm looking at it from length of the circuit, not overall lap time. Yeah, and it's, thank it's, you, Ed it's, it's on, on overall lap time. But yeah, coming back to Antonio Giovinazzi, he quite enjoyed uh, leading the race. He said he hoped that his family were watching uh, <laughs> at uh, that point, which I'm sure they they will. He had a. It was just a really unfortunate race for him because he he was in a nice position. He was the highest place driver on starting on mediums. Uh, because Perez had a grid penalty for a gearbox change, self-inflicted because he crashed in FP3. And, of course, Daniel Ricciardo uh, was excluded from qualifying for exceeding the uh, the maximum allowable power from the uh, the MG UK, uh, the, uh, the motor generator. that You're not allowed more than 120 kilowatts, but there was a brief spike uh, after what apparently a, a, a curb strike. So, yeah, thrown out. He wasn't very happy with that. He was suggesting it was a disgraceful decision there after the, the race and asked about it. But... Giovinazzi then ended up being unfortunate with he, he ran long and then he lost a low trap position, dropped that down to about 15th place, came back through to 10th place. So, you know, solid. Could have been a few places higher. But then, of course, he gets this uh, this penalty for basically, it was, I don't think we, we saw any footage of it. Um, but he's part- I've seen footage of it now. Okay, describe. So basically, um, there's, a, there's a, a crane on track. Um, was it on the exit of... It was around turn eight. Turn eight, exit of turn eight, I think. And it's there to deal with the yeah the stricken Williams the George yeah, Russell's the first car. safety car which is George Russell yeah yeah so it's uh I think coming out of I think turn eight right hander it's blind isn't it you you come out it's not that you can't see the corner exit until you're coming out of the corner basically it's not one that you can see round and um, 
basically everyone uh, was told that there was the the crane they're recovering it. So there were double waved uh, yellows on on the scene, and it was under a safety car, I believe, or must have been because there was a crane on the track. And there was also an, a message from race control to the teams to instruct their drivers to to, to stay right on the exit of, of eight. And basically, Giovinazzi comes around uh, the exit of eight. And it's not like he's going too quickly or anything like that. He was uh, he was maintaining an appropriate speed, but he's too close to the crane basically, and he does have to move to the right to to, to avoid it. And it's, so yeah, he got a, he got a penalty for for driving too close to a crane. The marshals, the race director, and the stewards all felt that he was he was too close than what would be considered safe, basically. So which I, which I think is fair. Absolutely, so the instruction. It's a silly little thing to to get picked up on. We did have a few incidents in the in the race that we haven't yet talked about. Obviously, Grosjean had his collision with George Russell. Uh, that was that was another one that the stewards looked at. They didn't take any any action. Grosjean on the outside, Russell on the inside. It was interesting because they, after the race, was by them when the two of them were having a little bit of a discussion about it. And spoke to Roman about it, and he said, "Well, I was on the outside; it was legitimate." He said, "I think I thought maybe George had a bit of a wobble and moved a bit further over than he should have done." George Russell said, "Well, I've had a, I've had over an, I've had like an hour and a half to an hour or so to in the garage to watch this," and he was adamant that he felt that Grosjean was about a meter in from the edge of the track; he didn't need to be, and there was space for both of them uh, to get around. So it was one of those uh, sorts of uh, sort of situation. What did you make of it? I think when. It- when we first saw it, I do think there was sort of a collective feeling from most people watching that this was oh, Grosjean again because, you know, he's not got the best reputation, does he? And there are a couple of images after the race where George could be seen discussing it with Roman, I think in the media pen, actually, after that. The, that was about a meter from me. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and then I think he also was speaking to Hasbos Günther Steiner about it as well. Um I I thought it, Grosjean was at fault the first time I saw it, and then actually watching it back, I still think I still think when you're the aggressor in the move and you've gone around the outside and you're relatively close to the wall and you and you can see that the track moves to the right, I think you have to take more responsibility. So I think it's sort of sixty forty in Grosjean's favour, but it's nowhere near as bad as when I first saw it because ultimately. The, the circuit does come back around to the right. Grosjean and Russell both maintain their lines. It's quite close to the definition of a racing incident, isn't it? Uh, we also had, while we're talking through some incidents, we had the, the Kvyat move on uh, on Raikkonen. At, um, I think that was after, the, after the, the restart, after the second safety car, wasn't it? When he could be uh, a torpedo in. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Kvyat had a had a, a dive uh, late, but good and legitimate and... Uh, yeah, Kimi seems to have no idea who was there. <laughs> no, absolutely, it's a, it was a proper, uh, well, it was a proper, proper clobber, wasn't it? I think I described it as clobbered in the race report on autosport.com. I think that's the most. It's it's rare to see an an incident like that that's so firm that it breaks one car's wheel, but not not the not the others. Yeah, I mean, it does happen, I guess, from the uh, the angle of impact, etc. Um, yeah, I just want, I guess, the the energy was moving towards the uh, the outside, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> eliminated Kimi. I think they both said to the stewards that they thought it was a racing accident, racing incident. So it happens. Uh, no punishment from that. Kvyat did make it to the end of the race in fifteenth. He was complaining about his uh, rearview mirror steaming up, which is why he thought it was all a bit dangerous. But um, 
he did come through and uh, get to see Andy Brufield fastest lap for a, for, a, for a time. Actually, fastest lap did go to Kevin Magnussen, which no point for it because he wasn't in the uh, in the top ten. Of course, I actually feel quite sorry for Kevin Magnussen because I thought he had a really good weekend. He got into Q two, and the Haas was a scrape into Q two if you get everything right. Uh, car, and he was up there, a strong position, and should have got should have got good points, but just the race just didn't go didn't, didn't go for him. Did he hit safety cars wrong? Even on plastic bags. Um, Sandwich bags, should we say, conspiring against him, didn't he? He did actually. Yeah, I was um, I was having a little read of that because I thought that was quite interesting. There's a brilliant picture emerged actually of the uh, of the offending uh, uh, sandwich bag, which was uh, quite amusing. Uh, basically, yeah, it got lodged in Magnussen's front wing. Uh, Hass reckoned it cost Magnussen about four seconds a lap. It's badly affected the car's aerodynamics, and it also started to 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 really rag the the front tires as well. So. He dropped back and eventually, I think he think he had to pit, didn't he, to to get it removed. So it was it was unfortunate. You're right. He did a he did a very good job. Much like uh, I thought, him and Giovinazzi were actually two quite two quite impressive performers that deserved a bit more than they got. Um, I think they both had race, their races compromised through no fault of, of of their own, really. Yeah, I think that's fair though. Yeah, good uh, good runs. It's just one of those things that happens when you have those those run of uh, of safety cars, don't you? Of course, we should say Sergio Perez was in the mix for points, but he had a an oil leak. He caused the uh, second safety car, didn't he? Yeah, stopping on track, which is unfortunate for uh, for him. But yeah, it's uh, I should say actually the racing point is uh, quite uh, quite heavily upgraded. They were finding the car a little bit more stable, so hopefully we'll see some more performance from them. But yeah, it's one of those chaotic races in the. uh, in the midfield, I think a lot of the drivers were saying, well, yeah, we were on for points, but everyone would have been. Obviously, Ricardo was the great example. In that he had a storming first start, uh, first part of the race. I said to him, he must have been really frustrated the way the race went in the end uh, with the uh, the clash he had with uh, Giovinazzi that you mentioned earlier because he'd done all the hard work. He'd passed a load of cars early on when it should have been quite tricky to and, and had laid the foundations. But I do, I do think he recognised he played a, bigger part than he initially thought in, G- in uh, the Giovinazzi clash because funnily enough we asked him about it and he said oh I haven't really seen it but and he sort of gave his version of it and then it and then it um it cropped up on the screen behind us and he said oh here it is so he was able to watch it and think oh yeah oh, yeah I had a bit of a wheel spin and the rear went a bit so it was kind of yeah I'm probably gonna have to go and have a chat with him <laughs> so good, I'd, good, good dawning of realization there, isn't it? That actually I wasn't entirely blameless. Exactly, yeah. So you know, he's, he's a genuine reaction to it. So I think that was uh, that was good. Uh, off track this weekend, we should just briefly mention the driver market moves. We won't go into it in too much detail, but the the big one at the start of the weekend, Grosjean stays at Haas next year. No place for Nico Hulkenberg. Surprised? Yeah, very much so. I think. Uh, Hulkenberg is exactly the sort of driver that a team like Haas or a team like Alfa Romeo should be going for. Uh, he was actively in the running for the Haas seat. Gunter Steiner said that they were they were talking to, to Nico or his representatives. Steiner says that they never actually got to the point where they made a formal offer to Nico because they opted for Grosjean instead. They think that his experience is, um, is what they need because they've got the inconsistency at the moment. Roman's... Um, push to go back to the Melbourne spec and try and work out what the hell is going on with Haas's failed upgrade packages is also a, a significant factor too because Haas seems to have actually gained quite a bit of understanding of what the issue is and they've dialed it down to a correlation problem with the wind tunnel um, which I don't think they would have clocked this quickly or at this point if they hadn't done that test because it's now clear that something's not quite right with the upgrade so Grosjean does have a part to play at that team but 
is he necessarily a better option than Hulkenberg? Uh, I don't personally think so. And is he a better driver all round to have in F1 than Hulkenberg? I don't really think so either because while Grosjean's peaks are extremely high, I just think at this point we've seen plenty of evidence to show that he will he will never he will never raise his average level closer to those peaks. There will always be silly mistakes in there. And at the moment when you're Haas, when you're really inconsistent, you know, would they be doing as poorly this season with Hulkenberg in one of their cars? I, I just I really struggle to believe that they would. And we won't talk in any great depth about Hulkenberg's alternatives, but basically Alpha seems to be the best chance for him now, which would depend on him getting into the, the Ferrari-controlled seat that Giovinazzi is currently in, and a driver like Mick Schumacher is also a, a contender for. So, yeah, still a little bit in the balance for Hulkenberg, but he very much should be staying on the grid. He's a very, very capable and experienced performer. The other big driver market news was Robert Kubica, who announced a few hours after the Haas announcement on Thursday that he wouldn't continue with Williams next year. I don't think it was in any way a surprise that he would not be carrying on with Williams. But the fact that he's chosen to announce it and that we now know that's happening, he's talking about, obviously he's keen to remain in Formula 1, but realistically it's hard to see where he can go. He's looking at opportunities in other series, including the DTM, and he really, really, really wants to race because he doesn't feel he's been racing this year, and you can see exactly why. He was saying that to me on Saturday night, that I've not been racing this year. Just a, a statement of fact, really, given where Williams are. But, yeah, a shame, a shame that Kibitz is probably going to be, uh, well, he's going to be uh, on his way. Yeah, but it's nice that Williams has, has given him the opportunity to end it effectively on his terms, even though, let's be honest, he was he was probably going to be ousted from that team at the end of the year. But this way, there's no acrimony, there's no rumour, there's no lingering silly season um, ashes, really, that, that affect him. He's... He's not clinging to a pipe dream. Uh, the, the team doesn't have to go around the houses or anything like that. It's nice and clear. And I just think, you know, the the fact that he was able to, to to come back was a phenomenal personal achievement. It has been it has been a it has been poor on track for the team, but also for Robert because he's been comprehensively outperformed by George Russell. But it it has been uh, an incredible, never before seen story in in F one. Really, obviously, there have been phenomenal comebacks from injury in 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 other in other forms but i don't really think anything compares to this really in f1 since louder and obviously that was a very different kind of uh, of injury and comeback from a from a crash so what cubits has done uh, grosjean called it inspirational hamilton says he thinks it's been amazing basically what what cubits has done so yeah, nice that he was able to end it on his terms but um i don't really think it was kidding anyone in the paddock that that he he had he's choosing to walk away from a Formula One race seat. He's obviously, I, I think he's sort of, I think he's got to have worked out by now sort of what his level is at. And I hope he does go and find something that he can race in and race in properly, not just be competing or well taking part in a race. I want to see him go and race wheel to wheel and and see some of that old Kubica spirit. DTM seems very very possible and. I think what Kubitz has done is, is fantastic this year. After those injuries, which were horrendous, more than 40 surgeries, years of effort, pain, the, the, the psychological you know, sort of stress of the, of the whole thing, to have come back, raced for a full season in Formula 1, scored a point, remember, and it been perfectly cap- but a perfectly capable Grand Prix driver is absolutely remarkable and testament to what he's done. And this, this makes him, uh, in that regard, 
as a human story, he's one of the drivers of the season. I think he's done a fantastic job, and I think it's great he's been able to see what he's done. He's he's set himself a target. He's he's got back. He's answered those questions. So at least he'll know for the rest of his days what he could have done on his return, and that's a decent level. Not brilliant, you know. He's been a step back from Russell, but yeah, couldn't couldn't have more respect for what uh, for what Kibitz has done. Well, of course, we'll be off to Russia. Very, very shortly, you shall be uh, you shall be swinging by your home in Sweden. Uh, for I'll say, twenty-four hours back home, lovely. Yes, exactly, I'll be uh, I'll be slightly delaying my departure from Singapore and then heading direct to Sochi. So it'd be fascinating to see how the Ferraris go there. I think uh, encouraging signs in Singapore, but there's still some questions to be to be answered. Very, very particular, specific circuit and specific circumstances this weekend, but. Great for, great for the Formula 1 season that we've had another Ferrari victory and I think it, it set things up well for the uh, for the next six races. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell, for your insight. Uh, do check out autosport.com. Loads of fallout from the race and news from the, the world of Formula 1 there and do check out our Plus subscriber area. Uh, pick up a copy of Autosport magazine out every Thursday. The next issue will have in-depth coverage of the Singapore Grand Prix. If you like this podcast, it's out every Monday and Thursday, so please do subscribe for free. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Also Sport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.